medicine of East Asia is based on a science that does not hold itself separate from the phenomena that it seeks to understand. Our medicine did not grow out of petri dish experimentation or double-blind studies. It arose from observing nature and our part in it. East Asian medicine evolves not from the examination of dead structures, but rather from living systems with their complex, mutually entangled interactions. Welcome to Geological. I'm Michael Max, the host of this podcast that goes in-depth on issues pertinent to practitioners and students of East Asian medicine. Dialogue and discussion have always been elemental to Chinese and other East Asian medicines. Listen in to these conversations with experienced practitioners that go deep into how this ancient medicine is alive and unfolding in the modern clinic. These conversations come to you through the generous support of our sponsors and members. All the sponsors here provide helpful products or services that you'll find beneficial in your clinical work. Worried that an EMR is too complex for you? Jane has friendly and knowledgeable support. Mayway Herbs is celebrating the 55th year of their family business. You're invited to make use of their vast library of resources. Are you concerned about the health of Mother Earth? AccuFast Needles is doing something about that. You can too. And later in the show, Ancestral Sturman offers up a sinew treatment, and the folks at Blue Poppy have something special to share as well. Do be sure to visit the sponsors page on the Geological website to take advantage of all the special offers our terrific sponsors have for listeners of the podcast. Hi folks, I'm Yvonne Lau, president of Mayway Herbs. Our family business turns 55 this year, and we wouldn't have gotten this far without the love and support of our community. We're truly grateful and promise you that we'll continue to work hard to support you and your practice. Please visit Mayway.com to find the perfect Pumsar brand formula or formulate your own in our dispensary. Our site also has lots of articles, videos, and herbal recipes for you to explore. And tune into our podcast, Chinese Medicine Matters, for insightful discussions on all things TCM. Learn about treatment strategies and powerful herbal remedies. As we welcome the month of May, our focus is on women's health. Our newsletter articles and podcast episodes this month will highlight different aspects and unique challenges women face. So subscribe or tune in. And if you're a practitioner, get a discount on our women's health formulas this month. Just visit Mayway.com. This season and every season, trust Mayway Herbs for your health and wellness needs. And thank you for supporting Real Chinese Medicine. I love how technology can help to automate my office. And I want to share with you my favorite tool for doing so, Jane. Jane is a clinic management software in EMR with a human touch. Whether you're switching your software or going paperless for the first time, the Jane team knows that the onboarding process can feel a little overwhelming. That's why with Jane, you don't just get software, you get a whole team. Included in every Jane subscription is their award-winning customer support available by phone, email, and chat whenever you need it, even Saturdays. You can also book a free account setup consultation to review your account and ensure you feel confident about going live. If you're interested in making the switch to Jane, head to jane.app switch to book a one-on-one demo with a member of their support team. And be sure to mention the code Geological at the time of sign up for a one-month grace period on your new Jane account. I don't know about you, but sometimes I take a step back and marvel at my acupuncture needles. I mean, they're the world's simplest medical tool, a sharpened wire and a handle. That's it. And with this simple tool, hundreds of health conditions can be resolved. I love it. What I didn't love was the amount of packaging waste I generated at the end of the day. But that has now changed too. Ever since I switched to AccuFast Earth-Friendly Needles, I reduced my packaging waste by 90%. Not only are they a great needle, but the folks at AccuFast plant a tree for every two boxes of needles I use in the clinic. By switching to AccuFast needles, you'll be helping patients, planting trees, and joining a community of practitioners changing the world. Like our simple needle, being a part of this solution, it's simple too. Visit AccuFastNeedles.com geological to learn how. 
Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Geological. Today, we're visiting with Lillian Bridges. Lillian is one of the foremost experts on facial reading and diagnosis. She's taught and lectured at numerous conferences and schools since the early 90s. She's the author of several books on facial diagnosis. She also works, interestingly enough, with major developers, architects, corporations, and private clients to create ergonomic and aesthetic buildings and personal environments using the principles of Taoist design and feng shui. Her experience with Chinese medicine, Taoism, and facial diagnosis and facial reading comes from her family lineage. She runs the Lotus Institute in the Emerald City, Seattle, Washington, my old stomping ground. And I'm delighted to have her with us here today on Geological. Lillian, welcome. Hi, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm really psyched about this. I spent a little time in Taiwan, uh-huh. um, which was great. And when I first got there, I, I would, I'd love to go to these temples because mm-hmm. they're just so raucous. And around the temples, you'd always find these uh, swan ming shi, right? These mm-hmm. fortune tellers. Mm-hmm. And they'd be doing all, you know, they do the bakwa or they do <laughs> numerology or this or that. Read your palm, yeah. Yeah, read your palm. And some of them would read the face. Right. That was like the, like the first you know, introduction that I had to some of this stuff. And then, and then the bookstores in both China and Taiwan, they're often in the Chinese medicine section. Right. Have, yeah, a lot of stuff on facial diagnosis. So I'm curious to know, where does your family tradition fit in with all of this? <laughs> well, my grandmother was an extraordinary face reader and she learned from her father. And her father was actually a businessman. There are people in the family that definitely use it for, for medicine, but he was a businessman actually. And he used it to do business. And that's one of the ways that he got successful actually. And she wasn't supposed to learn because she was a girl. Mm. Um, but she also didn't have her feet, you know, her feet bound because he didn't want to cause her any pain. So he actually taught her. And so she learned from him um, you know, at his knee. And I learned from her at her knee. So I, I started learning how to read faces when I was very young, about five years old. <laughs> so, wow. Yeah. What's it like growing up in a family with people that can read a face? Well, it's it's pretty extraordinary, actually. I, I have to say, I mean, just as an aside, um, it wasn't always that they told you good things either. It's like they would know if you were sick, and they would they would know every emotion that you were feeling. It wasn't like you could hide anything very well. Exactly. So, yeah. So yeah, you were called on just about everything. So yeah, people people would read you constantly, and it was. I mean, I was used to it because I grew up with that. But it wasn't until I was older that I realized other people didn't do that. <laughs> so right. So. You use this for medicine. I, clearly, from some of your background, you're also using this with business. Yeah, sometimes. I, I definitely want to talk about medicine because you know that's the main thing that we do here. But I'm curious to hear how this helps in business. Well, it, I think that it helps communication. It's like if you if you understand like how someone makes decisions, I mean, then you're going to be able to to give them information the way they can receive it. Okay, so it's it's actually really helpful to understand here. This person needs to have you know written information. This person needs to have things you know talked. They need to talk about it several times, or you know this other person needs to spend some time thinking about it. And someone else might make up their mind really fast. And so there's a lot of traits that show up really easily that I think people can learn to read that help them um, understand how to deal with someone else. Right. So it's very helpful with a person's communication style. If you understand how they take, they process information. So this would be helpful, right. like in your marriage as well. <laughs> Not mine, but I, I don't have one. But yes, <laughs> it could be. <laughs> yeah, it could be very helpful. I mean, I think people uh, often uh, try to assume that everyone's like like them. You know, it's mm-hmm. like. And it's, they're not. I think the biggest gift I, I can give my students with face reading is to make them understand that everybody's really different yeah. and that there are traits that they have that um, have nothing to do with how they feel about you, but they just they just don't do what you do. They don't feel the way you feel. And I think it promotes understanding. That's my favorite part about it. Yeah. I You know, I've seen this certainly in my clinic. I've seen it in my personal relationships. I have my preferred way of doing something or my preferred way of right. communicating and my preferred way of getting information. And it works really well for me. And if the person that I'm trying to connect with, they don't access information in the same way. Right. I just think, well, I was going to say, I think they're a jerk. They probably think I'm a jerk. And I just, (laughs) you know, think they're dense or something like that. So yeah, it's very easy to have a mismatch. It does, and I think it. I think it eliminates a lot of the um, expectations that we have for the people to be like us. And I just, I love that it promotes understanding of other people. And so the traits are really easy to see. I mean, everything's right there on your face. Right there you on know? Your face. So, there's so much information there. So, 
can you, you know, and again, I mean, we're, we're, we're a podcast, you know, we can't actually look at faces now we can conjure up, you know, ideas of faces. And I'm sure that there's all kinds of, you know, this stuff gets really involved, but can you give us some basic guidelines or some things to look for to, to help us so that we can, I was going to say, clean up our communication or just be more clear with our communication, know where someone's coming from so we can be a, a effective and how we're connecting. Can you, give, can you give us a few pointers? Sure. One of the easiest ones, and I, I've taught this many, many times to salespeople, um, is to look at the three zones of the face. And the three zones are the average hairline to the top of the eyebrows and the top of the eyebrows to the bottom of the nose, the bottom of the nose, the bottom of the chin. And whatever one is largest actually gives you really good information about how people process information and how they decide. Um, so for example, I once had a client who has a, a very big bottom zone and she's very instinctive and she has a very full mouth, which makes her very impulsive. And she told me she met her husband and knew instantly this was the man for her. And I said, well, how long did it take you to get married? She said, seven years. I said, seven years? She said, yeah. He, <laughs> he has a really big upper zone. And she said he read a lot of pros and cons lists. And he went back and forth for seven years until finally she gave him an ultimatum. But that was the difference between them. He had to process thing and, and things and think about it and like you know, get information and make a, an informed decision. And, and she understood that. So she just let him have his time. <laughs> whatever. And it was very cute because he took seven years. <laughs> That's funny. But, you know, a great story. So we're talking the, the three zones from, well, you know, with me, I mean, my hairline goes all the way back to the nape of my neck. Well, it's where your hairline used to be in that case. Okay. <laughs> but you still have a high forehead. So you're actually a person who does need some information, but not but not solely because you have other, other features that are, that are uh, good too. Mm -hmm. But it, it's interesting because when someone is very instinctive, they make decisions very quickly. And someone else who needs to think about it can't understand why someone's deciding so fast when they just know right away, that's what I want. Right. And it's hard for someone who doesn't act like that or think like that to understand how you could possibly make a, such a rash decision when it's not actually rash. It's, it's well-informed for them because they're quick. Yes. They're, they're working off the intuitive. They've got a whole right. different sensibility about how things connect. So for them, the decision comes quickly. And for someone else, they need to go over the spreadsheets about six times and then worry about it for another <laughs> three months. Well, I have to say pros and cons lists don't usually make you decisive. I just have to say. Wait, I'm sorry. Say that again. It's a pros and cons list don't usually make you decisive. They usually make you indecisive. That's a great phrase. I mean, it took me a moment. I had to ask you to say it again. I think that's true. And I watch people around me who who struggle with that pro and con thing. And because it and yes, it actually makes them less decisive, not more decisive. Yeah. 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 And, and this, the middle zone, which we didn't talk about, is, is the practical zone. And that's where decisions are made on fulfilling a need, um, you know, fixing something, solving something, saving time or energy or money. And that's a very different person. So practicality is a really big, big issue for them. And if you're not being practical, they'll kind of go, why aren't you being practical? It's like, well, why are you doing yeah. that? Like, why are you spending that? Why are, <laughs> why are you wasting yeah, so time? The middle zone. What would you look for in the middle zone to know you're looking at a middle zone person? Usually you're looking for a fairly long nose um, and sometimes high eyebrows as well. And I just give you a, a cute story. I, I have a friend who's married to a man who likes to think that he's practical because he's a businessman, but he's not. And luckily he's got a very wonderfully, um, you know, efficient and, uh, and wonderfully practical assistant, personal assistant. And so um, he is the kind of person who, who, will go out, forget to do something and go back out again. He rarely like, writes a list and says, okay, I'm going to go to you know, the drugstore here and I'm going to go to the hardware store there and I'm going to go to the grocery store there. He'll just keep going out at different times of the day going, oh, I need to go to the grocery store. Even though it's next door to the hardware store, you know, he'll just keep on making these extra trips and, and it makes her crazy because she likes to go in one trip and go to all three places. And <laughs> yeah. So practicality is about saving time, energy, or money. And, you know, it's, it's not – it's not as uh, decisive as the instinctive zone, the bottom zone, but it's definitely faster than the mental okay. zone. The mental zone is the slowest. Yes. But they spend a lot of time thinking and they're, and they're good at thinking. Yeah. Oh, I, 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 again, I, I noticed this in certain patients in particular. Right. Right. Well, if you have a person with a high zone, a high, high zone one, give them information about the research in acupuncture and they'd be thrilled to know mm -hmm. about that. 
Whereas someone who's practical, you may have to say, you know, this is going to take at least six sessions. So don't expect any results for like at least three or four just to see something. And then they'll feel a lot calmer. It's like, okay, I can do six sessions. You know? Whereas someone else might just be so ready to say, oh, I want that supplement or whatever it is that you're, you're telling them to take. Yeah, that's right. That's, that's what I want. Or that point. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do that point again. Because <laughs> you know, they know that that works. So in, in learning to begin to read the face and see and understand how people process, I mean, we have to become quite adaptive then in how we communicate. Yes. Uh, I think so. It's like, um, I find myself though, I, teaching because I have a, a pretty strong middle zone, asking my students, does this make sense to you? Which is a very middle zoned <laughs> comment, you know, it's like a question. And I, I find myself going, okay, do you need more information to people who need more information? And they go, yeah, yeah. And one of the things I found if you ask a mental zone person, what do you think? They'll answer. If you ask a bottom zone person, how do you feel? They'll answer. If you ask a middle zone person, does this make sense to you? Or does this like solve your problem? They'll, they'll be really happy. And if you ask an upper zone person, how do you feel? They'll say, fine. Why? Uh-huh. <laughs> Cause that's not where they're living. So we'll just be fine. And if you ask a, a, a bottom zone person, what do you think about that? I don't know. <laughs> you know, they just, they, they won't be there. That's not where they live. That's, it sounds fun and it sounds doable. I mean, it sounds like it's, it's, it's fairly easy. It's a good entree. Yeah. Yeah. The only problem is if you have all three zones matching, then you, then you um, have to wait till everything, the stars light up basically. <laughs> so it makes you, it makes you very accurate in your decisions, but it's something yeah. that takes a little while. And it, and could it be that sometimes people actually have a pretty good balance between those things and, and you can, you can work in all those channels, so to speak. Sometimes, yeah. I mean, I find myself as I'm getting older, getting more balanced. And I have to tell you, it's a little frustrating because I used to be much more able to make decisions based on practicality or instinct because I have what, what I call a zone war. You know, I have two zones mm-hmm. that are very similar. And now, because I'm thinking more, <laughs> I find myself a bit more indecisive. But when I make a really good decision, everything lines up and it's great. So these things change over time. Wow. I didn't. I, I had no idea we we're actually going to take the conversation in this direction. It's really... Yeah. It's really interesting. And it, and it makes me wonder too, from a practice management point of view, I mean, you talk about using this for business and of course we want to use this to help people medically. We're going to get to that in a minute, but from a business point of view, this seems like it could be really helpful for people. I think it is. I mean, this this is one of the the number one things I teach to businesses because it's fast and it's also useful because it's, it's a, just another form of nonverbal communication. It's like, okay, here's how I relate to someone else. And, um, I I find that to to be so helpful and it's, it takes away a lot of the misunderstandings. Mm -hmm. Faces are interesting these days because, well, they're always interesting, but these days because, you know, a lot of people get Botox or their surgeries. I mean, there's all kinds of ways that people manipulate their faces these days. Yeah, I can usually tell. Yeah, well, Botox is pretty easy to see. Yeah, it's frozen liver chi in the... <laughs> yeah, it freezes the liver. <laughs> it looks like the Chinese have a saying where if someone has a frozen area of their face, it looks like mutton fat jade, which is that marbly white jade. And it really does look just like that. So would you see things like Botox treatments sort of working backwards and causing stagnation in the liver? Uh, well, absolutely. And my biggest concern, and you know, people can do whatever they want. I'm not going to be judgmental and tell them what to do. If they ask me what I think, I, I will tell them. And, and Botox has concerned me for a number of years because it does have at, at its core a mm-hmm. neurotoxin involved that's supposed to be inactive, but it still acts upon the body. And the, the liver, of course, deals with all toxins. So what you see when someone gets Botox, especially between the eyebrows, is that there is a problem with the um, the bone barrier there. It is porous, and it does go into the brain and lodge in the brain, and studies have shown that now. And it also prevents people from feeling and expressing anger and sadness. And I I think that wrinkles are fairly easy to let go of, by the way. If you, if you want to do some pers- interpersonal work, you know, um, want to do some therapy, for example, about the fact that you're impatient or annoyed or frustrated or whatever, and you know, you've know you got a repressed liver here, you can get rid of these wrinkles anyway. But people don't want to do that. They want to do it like fast and right now and not change their behavior. So they get Botox, but the problem is you can't feel or express anger or sadness. Well, what that means your, your liver is frozen, so is your heart. So there's a problem there. And 
what happens to those emotions? You know, um, what happens to your ability to, to release those emotions? It, it freezes you. So I, I'm concerned about that. Yeah. What about uh, facial acupuncture is kind of a popular thing these days. Yeah. So, so tell us about what you like about it and, and how you see it helping a person beyond they look 10 years younger. Well, but the reason why I like it is because there's a facial map, kind of like Rings of the Tree, and you actually have like, um, well, I, I use a map of 100, but it's actually 150 places. And because facial acupuncture hits so many points, you're actually helping people uh, with their traumas because what, what marks on the facial map is previous traumas. So even though it can't re- you know, release the trauma completely, it definitely starts um, activating something that helps people go through a process of letting go of things they're holding on to. So facial acupuncture hits some really great things, especially mm-hmm. ear acupuncture because it's childhood and it releases maybe the top level of, of some trauma from childhood. So I, I think it's great. I'm pretty familiar with ear acupuncture. I think most of us are. But- right. Yeah, I don't actually practice. I just I just teach acupuncturists. <laughs> uh-huh. I read faces. So, so you actually yeah. so you you don't have a background in acupuncture. You have a background in growing up at your uh, at, at your grandmother's oh. knee. <laughs> the old fashioned apprenticeship method, which is what Chinese old medicine school. always was in the past. Right. Yeah. No. I just. I mean, I love it. I, I hear you saying, you know, working on the face, and, and the first thing that comes up for me in talking about these maps, I want to get a little more into it in a moment, is. Uh, that you you can free up traumas, you can free up various things that are frozen and locked in. And it makes me think, oh, wow, you have face right. as microsystem. Well, yeah, that makes it sense. It is, and- yeah. It is. And, and what's really hard with the face is that there's a macrocosmic facial map. There's also microcosmic. For example, all around the eyes is every organ. So that's why some of the some of the face reading techniques look like they're different. They're not really. So just to give an example, the tip of the nose in some systems of face reading talk about the spleen being here, which I actually agree with because this is a warehouse. So it's, a, it's an earth warehouse on top of what I consider the heart and then the lungs, mm-hmm. which is the rest of the nose. And it's easy to see that the lungs are actually involved with breathing. Okay, But if you look at the body, you'll see the heart is in the center of the lungs surrounding it. And so here's the heart. Here's the lungs, right? It's exactly the same thing. And the spleen here is, is, is pretty close, you know, it's over on one side. And if someone has like um, plumpness in the end of the nose, they have extra spleen energy there. And so different systems might say, oh, that spleen, yeah, it's there. It's a, it's a warehouse in, in my system, but it doesn't show as much about the spleen diagnostically, except for blood, it shows spleen blood. everyone, Anne Cecil Sturman here. A working knowledge of the eight extraordinary channels from the unbroken oral tradition of acupuncture is valuable beyond words. The power of these channels is tremendous if the practitioner has well-integrated diagnostic, theoretical and practical skill. You'll be familiar with Dumai, the governor channel or the sea of yang, the primal reservoir of yang which ultimately finances all movement and growth. But this channel also governs the ability to self-determine. The psycho-emotional presentation of your patients can be matched to a classical activation of this channel, clearing impedance in the free flow of yang chi to body, mind and spirit. I'd like to share with you the marvellous potency of the Do channel in a full-length live treatment video from the seminar I taught last year in Melbourne, Australia. It's at ancecilsturman.com forward slash sinews2024. Click on the jump to free teaching button or see the link on my Instagram page at ancecilsturman. Thanks, Michael. Back to you. So if, if the nose is sort of large and bulbous at the end, this is a sign of, of additional spleen blood? Usually, yes, and it, it color color goes in there too. So if you're if you're smaller here, there's usually a little bit of lack of, of the spleen uh, strength, and also in spleen blood. So you look at, look at spleen blood deficiency, which is what I usually recommend people eat like yeah. grass fed beef. That's my usual <laughs> my usual remedy, or beets or whatever. Yeah, we have plenty yeah, of that here blood. in Missouri. We just go down the street; it's everywhere. Benefit of living in the Midwest. When you mentioned ear acupuncture a moment ago. You said something that I've never heard anyone say before, which is it it connects more with childhood. Yes. Early childhood is on one ear and late childhood is on the other, depending if you're a man or a woman, because there's a yin side and a yang side. 
So women start counting on the right and men start counting on the left. And Michael Smith, I mean, a great man, unfortunately passed recently. Um, he and I've had many, many discussions in the past about ear acupuncture and why it works so well with drug addiction and um, just addiction in general. And he and I got came to the conclusion that it's dealing with some really early childhood traumas, which is probably where most, you know, uh, future mm-hmm. problems come from anyway. And so luckily, as, as you know, Every acupuncture point has around it a whole area where it activates. And so ear acupuncture is great because it's, it's such a small area that like everything gets activated really easily. So a lot of trauma from yeah. the past can be touched upon and help. And, and, and you start to release it because acupuncture is extraordinary for releasing trauma. It really seems to take people to a unique place deep inside and something happens. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think it resets the blueprint. I, you I know, think. it's interesting to hear you say that. I've I, I've been a student of this stuff for twenty years now. I was curious about it when I first started studying. I've got I've got nothing but more curious as time has gone on. <laughs> the more you learn, the less we know. I think. <laughs> but I, you know, I still have people come in. They go, so what's going on? Right? How does this work? Mm-hmm. And I still don't have that good of an answer other than at this point, something to the effect of there's something in you that created you that knows how to heal you. And it sometimes gets distracted or congested or stuck or frozen. And acupuncture helps to open that up. That's, That's as close as I can get at this point. Yeah, I usually say it resets the blueprint. And I also say that it gets you back to your original face. That's a very Taoist term. That's a very yeah. yeah. So let's go let's go down that path a little bit. You know, so often we'll hear about, you know, Chinese medicine comes out of a Taoist tradition. And, you know, a lot of us, I think actually, me included, have no idea what that really means. Mm-hmm. Because I don't have a Taoist background. It's one of those things. I hear it and I go, well, that, you know, that's nice. That's cool. It's connected to Taoism. Taoism seems interesting. Some of the stuff that I've read, mostly I don't understand, but it's interesting enough stuff to read. It's, it's, it, um, it's in circles. It, it, they talk they in circles. Really, you have to get yes, through the circle. Sometimes very poetically, <laughs> which I like, but they talk in circles. So I, I'm curious to hear, how do I phrase this question? I mean, so often we hear, oh, it roots back to Taoism, and we're supposed to take that as, well, that's a good thing. So we should just, you know, believe whatever whatever we're doing. How does it help? Well, Taoism, people forget, is actually a philosophy, not a religion. Of course, people try to make lots of philosophies into religions, but but it, I tell people if you're an environmentalist, if you like to go outside and smell flowers and look at beautiful trees and stare at the sunlight on the ocean, you're a Taoist. As far as I'm concerned, it's really being in touch with the natural world. And I don't really understand why people make it complicated because it's so simple. It's, it's just literally being in you know a harmonic frequency with the rest of the beings on the planet, you know. And and I think that we get in touch with the ego, you know, and ego says, oh, we're special and different. And they forget that we're animals, that we forget that we actually live and have to deal with the natural forces. And the natural forces are so powerful. And we, we think we can conquer them when unfortunately we can't, as, as you've seen in a lot of uh, natural disasters in the recent years. And I think the harmonious aspects of, of um, living well are so health giving so that if you do live like with the seasons or with the lights, like, you know, going to, to sleep early yeah, when it's dark yeah. outside, it's a really good idea. You know, it's just all, all the young stuff from Chinese medicine. So Chinese medicine is, is clearly one of the very important branches of Taoist philosophy, but so are many other things that we forget about, um, like feng shui, for example, mm-hmm. which is also a branch of Chinese medicine, I might add. And so what we're trying to do, I think, in Taoism is remember that we are resonating. Uh, we have something called consinity, I think it is, where we resonate together. And if we get out of resonance, we have disease. And so that's something that I think most practitioners need to remember. The more clinical you get, the less in touch you are with the natural world. And I'll give you an example. I had a, a friend one time, he's an acupuncturist, who went to China. 
and he had a lot of trouble with the food there and with the um, air pollution um, in Beijing. And he came back really struggling. And he asked me, Lillian, what should I do? And I gave him a really funny answer, which I still think is funny. But I looked at him and I thought, oh my goodness, he's really missing Ling. And Ling is, of course, all the the magical aspects of the of the cosmos. He just needs to like fill himself up with like magic again you know basically and i i said to him you know it's really good it's, it's getting close to summer what i want you to do is go outside and lay on the grass and stare at the clouds and he said why i said because your lungs are so deficient that you need cloud chi and i said i want you to go outside and just like breathe deeply and stare at the clouds and and do it for as long as you can because as many days as you can because it'll heal you and he just said what okay i thought it was really strange i said you're you're so deficient in ling and ling to me is really valuable magical stuff Mm. and that's why we we stare at beauty in nature so he did it and i saw him the next year he looked fabulous he goes lillian he said i did it all summer he said that was the best thing that i did he said "I, i i just got back in touch you know he said he 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 found himself just expanding. And I just said, well, it works. You know, that's why people will go walk on the beach and why they sit under a tree. It's like, we forget that this is what we're supposed to be doing. <laughs> this is actually a fundamental kind of healing. The Japanese do forest bathing, for example, which is brilliant. Yeah. Ling is such a great character. It's one of my, that one and Ting are like my favorite, some of my favorites. They're just, they're so incredible. And, you know, Ling often translates to spirit, something in, or something lively, right? There's a liveliness about it. Yes. Well, I think quantum physics might explain it really well too, but there, but it's the particulate matter of the universe that kind of sparkles, you know, so that's why I, it's, it's what, it's very life giving, you know, so I, I think people need to cultivate. And you mentioned a connection the Ling has with the lungs. That's how we breathe in Ling. <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, look, I, I, I work a lot with people. There's a couple of markings that are really important in terms of um, diagnosis that I, I forget to teach sometimes, but they're really some of my favorites. And one is right here across the bridge of the nose. And one is right here across the philtrum. And the one that we were talking about was breathing. This is, this is about breathing. This particular marking, actually both these markings are about the body asking you to make chi to buffer the use of jing. It's actually asking you to make more chi. This one says you need to eat in a way that makes more chi. This one says you need to breathe in a way that makes more chi. And the way that you eat or breathe to make more chi is to gather ling. So in the food sense, you're going out there and having like really ripe tomatoes that are grown in the hot sun. You're you're getting a tomato full of ling. Very different than a hothouse tomato. It's like styrofoam, you know? And so you're you're getting the ling. And so I was taught, for example, to eat the sun and breathe the moon. That's the way I was taught. Yeah. So so you're you're saying right here on the bridge of the nose between the eyes that that means you need yeah. to ling up your eating. Yeah, and and what's hap- what's important about eating and it's really tricky is people people get so obsessed and get very mental about it and they go, "Oh, I can only eat this or this or this." Mm-hmm. It's like that's not what this kind of eating's about. A line here or, or multiple lines here say you have to eat what your body craves. So that if you eat it, your body goes, oh, it's like it gets so excited, it expands. Right. There's those, there's those foods we put in our mouth and we just go, ah. Oh, yeah. that's it's like it's so good, you know. And if you don't eat like that and you try to live like this really rigid way and you don't love your food, it's just like bad gasoline. It's like it'll work, but it's not going to work very well. So you have a you have a race car engine, you're putting bad gasoline, it's like, uh-uh, not going to work. So it doesn't matter what it is and it just matters that you – you follow this kind of way of eating where you eat whatever enhances your body's um, chi. And you could, and I think the ling needs to be there to transform yeah. the chi. Otherwise, where's I, the magic? I really get this. this is, and this is a question that I, I run into in clinic because, you know, I'm an acupuncturist. So people come in they, and they think they're supposed to be on some kind of a strict diet. You know, and they'll tell me what they're eating. Right. And sometimes it's it's really not helpful for them, but they think it's helpful. Yeah, the the, the mind over overtakes the the body's knowing. But it raises the question for me because I get it. the The hot house tomato is a completely different creature than the one that just came out of your garden and still, mm-hmm. you know, it's just it, it's still warm from the sun. Mm-hmm. These have fundamentally different right. characters to them, and and our body will react to them and go mm-hmm. ah right. And for the stuff that's good and we know it's good, grass-fed beef, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, we can, I think we can get that. But what about the people whose systems are, I'm going to say, deranged a bit? 
right? Maybe they're really addicted to sugar and they love brownies. And they're not the kind of person who goes, I eat a brownie and I feel awful afterwards. I shouldn't eat it. They go, I eat a brownie and it's the best thing in the world. And it might be, but they shouldn't eat like 25 of them. Because what happens is when you're satisfying this particular craving, a little bit is enough. And and when you when you need something, like you really crave it and you eat too much of it, and you do feel kind of sick after you eat so many brownies, then you're actually feeding a need. And there's really different um, feelings that the body has about those two ways of eating. And yes, people get very off balance and they crave things that are really bad for them. Um, or just, they may, bad, they may not be bad mm-hmm. to begin with, but they're bad because they do so much of them. It's just an excess. Um, I find that I have to steer them towards things that are in the more natural form. So for example, I had one woman who came to see me who's really um, doing way too much sugar. And I think she was healing a broken heart. That's very, that very often happens with sugar because it, it, it it soothes you in a way. And she was eating lots and lots and lots of ice cream, which also, you know, in Chinese medicine, it's not so good because it's so cold. And so I tried to steer her towards things that had that similar mouthfeel that were just a healthier version of that, do you know? And and so you go to yogurt instead of ice cream or you you, you, you steer people towards mm-hmm. filling that need a little bit so you don't take it away, but you also steer them towards things where their body kind of goes, oh, this is so good. And she got really into Greek yogurt. So that was great. <laughs> I think it's really helpful to have, just have this idea that there are things in a small amount might be really helpful and it's not wrong for us to want it. It's not wrong for us to yeah. do it. You know, so often with, with diets, especially here in America, it's like you're, you're doing it or you're not doing it right? or, or you're cheating. I mean, cheating is such a funny word with diet. It's like cheating implies you get away with something. Of course you don't get away with anything. It's not cheating. It's just yeah. a choice. <laughs> who are you? Who are you cheating on? <laughs> who's who's that person that yeah. you're actually, you know, trying to please? Yeah, and that's often society too. And I, I am a really strong believer in eating a large variety of foods. We, we, we're gifted with so many wonderful foods mm-hmm. in the world. It's like people get really stuck, you know. So I, I do a lot of nutritional um, kind of counseling just because. I help people figure out what they want. Not, I don't tell them what to eat. I, I help them figure out their own desires, which is great. And when people eat like this, it, it makes a really big difference. And I, I find it to be really helpful. And I, I think if you don't love it, it's not going to transform properly. And so it's kind of like, you know, if you think about Taoist alchemy, if you're going to do alchemy, you've got to have some fire. So if there's no joy in the food. I don't know what's going to happen, but it's not. I don't think it's going to transform. You're well. not going to be completely nourished. No. And and then with the other one, with the breathing, it's a little more complicated to explain, actually, because this marking says that you're not breathing deeply enough to get to a place where you don't have to breathe as much. So what you're trying to do is release through the out-breath as much as you can, breathe in as much as you can so that your lungs are so full that you can stop for a moment and be in that space between breaths that's so magical that anything's possible and you transcend kind of the laws of time and space and you get into that zone or that flow state or whatever you want to call it. And it's so magical that most people don't get there. We're paying attention to their breath, which so often we don't. Right. Or meditating. Yeah, and that meditating and, and, and creativity gets us into this place where breath transforms the chi. And I think if you don't get to that place, you don't really transform the breath very well. Pretty much everything follows the chi. Yeah, yeah. And I, I think it's so important because people, especially in the Western world, don't know how to manage their jing very well. They're not very cautious and careful about maintaining this constitutional you know, um, gift that we have of our body. And, and we also seem to be too body-focused sometimes, too, and, and we forget how to nourish it in the ways that are the most Taoist, which, which is eating the sun and breathing the moon. <laughs> we hear a lot about jing in Chinese medicine. Again, I've been a student of this for 20 years, and I'm Sometimes I think about things like Jing Chi and Shun, and, and I, what I mostly come up with is I don't know a lot about them. I mean, in some ways, they're still, they're still very mysterious in some ways because, you know, we've got our Western ideas of looking at it. I don't know if many of us have had an opportunity to go very deep on the Chinese side. So, I mean, again, given the family tradition that you've come from, curious to hear from you some ways that you think about nourishing replenishing, cherishing, looking after the jing. 
Well, I spend a lot of time teaching um, acupuncturists about Jing. It's just one of the, my, one of my missions, I suppose. I was taught about it at a very young age. I was <laughs> told by my grandmother when I was quite little that it was too bad I didn't have more Jing. Um, I, I wasn't physically strong. Um, I got sick a lot, and but I have a really strong spirit, which just makes up for it, I guess. But I was told to manage my Jing very carefully because I wasn't going to live a really long life and I had lots to do if I didn't manage that Jing. So I was, I was lectured frequently. My grandfather fed me in a way to, to enhance my chi. And, and I... You know, I think Jing is taught usually in the very first year of acupuncture school briefly, mm-hmm. but it's so much more than it is taught. And the way that I understand Jing is it's all that you inherit from your ancestors, this physical body, all the abilities and the talents of expression in this world, a lot, a lot of karma, by the way, too, and lessons from the family, ancestral memory, things like that. So it's everything we come in with. And it's not as finite as we're taught in the Western world, in my opinion. Um, we're taught you have all this jing that's present when you're born and you live on it all your life. And when you use it up, you're dead. Well, that's not actually true. We do have the jing for this lifetime. That's true. But it's kind of tucked away and we have to access it. And often we don't know how to access all of it. And some of it, for example, is in the forehead here. It's not the forehead. It's called the Sea of Yang. But this is actually inherited talents. And if you have talents that you are not using, you're, you have Jing that's locked away. And so I try to get people in touch with their talents and abilities because that's extra Jing they can use. If you've been you know, overworking or over-exercising, whatever, and, you, and you're losing Jing, you have more Jing to go get. So if you use other talents that you haven't used yet, that Jing comes pouring in and you've got more to access. And then the other part of it is, and this is the mysterious part, not in Chinese medicine, but in Taoism, they believe that with spiritual practice, you can make more Jing. Chinese medicine says, this is what you got, this is all you have, and when it's over, it's over. Which I, I qualify that too, because often people with cancer lose access to their Jing, but they have lots left over when they die, which makes me really sad. So I often will work with cancer patients to access their talents. I've found that if people live like they're going to die, they don't die. <laughs> so they do all the things they always wanted to do and they don't die. So it's cool. But I also believe, and I don't know that much about this yet. I'm, I'm working on it. I believe that it's possible to make Jing if you get past the duality of this world and get to the place of oneness on occasion through spiritual practice, you bring back something and maybe it's a condensed form of Ling. I don't really know what it is. All I know is that people can rejuvenate in spiritual practice. I've seen it. It's happened to me a couple of times, but I I don't know anything more about it than that. (laughs) I try to talk about it, but it's mysterious. In recent years, the Sa'am acupuncture style has generated significant interest and a loyal and growing following. In the Sa'am approach, a precise diagnosis leads to a four-needle treatment to address the five element and six chi imbalances in the body. The four needles target the controlling and generating cycles. It's common using this method for the needle sensation to be stronger than in many other styles. Thus, the choice of needle becomes important. The Unico brand of needles lends itself to both strong and gentle techniques. These superior needles are made of uncoated Japanese surgical stainless steel and feature the best guide tube on the market with its unique beveled edge. Additionally, Unico needles have a tensile property that helps with freehanding needles into Jingwell points and allows you to more easily feel the arrival of Qi. Blue Poppy is the exclusive importer and distributor of Unico needles. Use the code QI2024 to save 10% off Unico needles at www.bluepoppy.com. You'll be glad you did. Yeah, and I mean, there are, there's many things that are mysterious in this life, you know, including that acupuncture actually works. It does. And, and for all, you know, you may be a, a conduit for Ling. Think about that. 
that the vibrational medicine aspect of, of acupuncture may be really channeling link. Well, I, in this conversation today, mm-hmm. I have, you've got me thinking about Ling in a whole other context than I usually think about Ling. So thank you. I, I appreciate that. I've got to, I want to go back to Jing for just a second because you were, you're talking about that we sometimes have these um, abilities – characteristics, talents, 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 that's a great word, talents. Mm-hmm. And and they're connected to our Jing, but we've locked them away. So we actually don't have access to that Jing because, mm-hmm. because we're not manifesting that talent. And I've also heard it said that if you've got something in you, something creative, let's call it a talent, something, mm-hmm. something for you to put out into the world, your gift, basically. Right. If you bring it out, it will give you your life. If you don't bring it out, it will actually turn to poison and make you sick. Yes, absolutely. And I, uh, this is what I, my work on the Golden Path, and this is what I spend most of my time doing in personal consultations, helping people figure out what their gifts are and how they can bring them into the world. <laughs> this is what I care about the most because I, I find that people are so focused on making a living, which I don't really understand. I mean, look, we all need to make a living. I, I get that. I mean, I mean, my practical zone is saying, yes, of course, you have to make a living. But we focus on it to the, to the exclusion of other things that make us so happy. And I say to people, if you love playing the guitar, if you love to write, if you love to paint or do pot, make pottery or whatever, it actually gives you so much jing that it makes sometimes the things that we don't like to do so much better because we're doing things that we do like and you'll find and this is my opinion but i think that doing our talents and abilities is a variation of wu wei mm-hmm. doing without doing because it comes so easily and naturally that it doesn't take effort to do it yeah. and if you don't do it it makes you unhappy um i mean to give you an example i have in the past traveled a lot i'm not traveling as much anymore but my biggest problem with traveling wasn't really that i I don't like airplanes very much, but I, 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 I get tired and all that. But my biggest problem was I didn't have um, kitchens to cook in. And so when Airbnbs came around and I could get like a place to cook in, I was a lot happier because I like to cook and cooking is a talent I have. And if I don't cook, I'm just not happy. And I, I like my own food and I know how to nourish my, you know, my, my, um, my chi that way. And so I, I need to cook and I cook when I'm, tired because it makes me not tired. I cook when I'm happy because it makes me happier. I mean, it, it doesn't take any effort for me to cook. It takes effort for me to go on, on a big walk or something or a hike, but it doesn't take any energy to, to cook. I can dance actually too, because I like to dance. So hiking doesn't replenish your jing, but cooking does. No, it exhausts me. I, I, I make jokes about this, but I actually, I, I like to exercise by accident. <laughs> if I'm someplace beautiful and I feel like walking around, I do. <laughs> <laughs> so no, I I I'm watching the Olympics and I, I I love watching you know peak performances, but oh, it's so beyond my understanding of how the body works. I don't have that kind of body at all. It does. It, I can cook well. I, I told one of my students I have a superpower. I can stand for long periods of time, which is really good for teaching and really good for cooking. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I'm thinking. I mean, often I have patients and they've let's just say they've got the 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 long forehead zone, right? They're the ones who are thinking all the time. And I'll sometimes suggest to them, well, if you want to get some practice with not thinking, meditation is helpful for that because it's the practice of mm-hmm. catching a thought and just letting it go, catching a thought and just letting it go. Right. And, and it, it, can, it can help to slow, you know, slow it down. And, you know, we need practice with that. And, I, and I'm, I'm hearing you talk about Ling and, and Uwe and for those practices that for us, are simply doing without doing. It's a little like meditation in a way. Yeah, right? I'm doing nothing. It is. And actually, there's many types of meditation. And I find, for example, people who are very woody need to do a moving meditation. Not my idea of a good time. But I, you know, that's why if they if they hike in a way where they actually like, you know, <laughs> look, <laughs> you know, and, and, and be there, that's great. And, you know, some people need to, to be together when they're in a meditative state. It really depends on what kind of person you are, but I think meditation is so crucial because of that line um, that often shows up in the filtrum. And I have to say that um, we don't do enough mm-hmm. nothing time. 
we need to do nothing more. We need to be more. And so that's one of the things I encourage people as well. And I think that's what that line also means. Like you've got to be instead of do. And so I encourage a lot of being. And these lines change. Mm-hmm. They can kind of go. As the person change. So I, I recently uh, did an interview with C.T. Holman. Yes. Which will air in a week or two mm-hmm. after this one. It comes in a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, fascinating conversation. Great guy. <laughs> yeah, it's really fun. And one of the things that he says was really helpful about learning facial diagnosis is that when you're, especially when you're working as an acupuncturist, mm-hmm. you can see the effect that your treatment is having. Yeah, it's extraordinary. It's it's so wonderful. You know, when I first started doing face reading, I wanted to find a way to make sure I was doing a good job. And when you're transforming someone's life, often they're going to be uncomfortable. Change is uncomfortable, you know, transformation mm-hmm. is uncomfortable and, and sometimes difficult. And people would say, oh, I've got a headache. I go, oh, oh, I'm so sorry. And then I went, wait a minute, that headache's good for them. They need to process this stuff that's you know, rising. So I had to find a way to monitor so I started paying attention to the Shen. And if their Shen came in, you know, a certain way and their Shen was clearer, lighter, brighter, whatever it was when they left, I knew that I'd done a good job. And that was really helpful for me because I could say, oh, I have a headache. And I go, oh, good. Your stuck chi is moving. <laughs> you know, Go get a treatment, you know. And the same thing occurs for practitioners of all kinds, especially acupuncturists. If you know that something's having an effect, it actually encourages you. It actually makes, yeah, you know, I, I picked the right points. And and I also encourage people to use a lot more of their intuition when it comes to picking points, because sometimes the points pick you, I think. And so watching the face shows exactly how well the organ that you're targeting is doing. So you can actually see, for example, someone transforming. Um, CT, you know, having been a longtime student of mine, and I were in um, Rothenburg, Germany, the TCM Congress last year. We were doing a talk. On, on the heart and, and cardiology and, and facial diagnosis and you know, treatment. And we actually decided to do um, some bleeding because we had a, a person there who had a very congested heart. She had a very purplish uh, end of her nose and that's blood stagnation. It's very, very easy to see. And it's one of the times when if someone can't bleed, they can take aspirin because aspirin causes stomach bleeding or they can go donate blood because that, you know, clears out the thick blood and brings in new clean blood. But we, CT is very good at bleeding. So we did a bleeding um, demonstration and you could literally see not only the nose going from like this darkish purple color to a really normal, you know, pink nose to also seeing the blood come out very thick and dark, almost black, going to clear new red blood. And it was just it was so wonderful because it's 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 right there for you to see that the face shows you transformations occurring. It's wonderful. Plain as the nose on your face. It is. <laughs> yeah, it is. And that happens with any organ. And I you know, I've I've done this for so many years now that in practice that I've seen lots of transformations. And one of the things I wanted to mention is people can lose wrinkles very fast as well. And they can also believe it or not, um, modify features slightly within a fairly short period of time. We're actually very morphable. And I think that we're actually holographic. So the face is more changeable than people have ever thought. I've lost a lot of wrinkles personally, a lot. <laughs> okay. So I suspect that could be like a different topic. A two or three day class. That's a different topic. <laughs> but, but because you bring it up, I just can't let it go. How does that happen? Or can you give us just you know a quick intro to how that happens, and then then the, and then is also kind of a follow up for what we were just talking about. Are there a couple of few zones on the face, or a few things to pay attention to organ wise? So an acupuncturist who's listening to this show right now can go into their clinic, and it's like, yeah, I'm working the liver, and let me let me see what I can see on the face for the liver. If right. you can give us a couple of sure. pointers, sure. that'd be fabulous. Um, let me start there and move backwards, okay? Perfect. So in terms of looking at features, there are five vital features that correspond to each organ. And those show the constitution of that organ. So for example, if you want to know how the liver is doing, um, you look at the eyebrows. And you can look at my eyebrows. You, you can see them. Nobody else can. But, but they're not very big. This is why I don't hike, okay? They're not eyebrows that are meant to be physically strenuous um, activities in my life. And and that's something I need, to, I need to be very aware of. I tried. It doesn't work. You know, I just don't have the liver strength. But um, you look at a different feature. For example, my nose is fairly long. I've got strength in my lungs, which is why I can talk. For hours and hours and hours and hours, which I do. I talk for days. 
and you can look at the strength of the, of the stomach, you know, in terms of the mouth. And so there's all these features that correspond. And right away, you can tell the constitution. Someone's really strong in this because this feature is big. But there's also areas of the face that correspond to the diagnostic aspects of each organ. To give you a couple of really simple ones, one of the issues I'm having recently with my mother is that she's older and she obviously, and she's um, on lots of medication. And I had to um, work with the doctor to lower her doses low because she is Chinese and also because it was causing a lot of problems for her and her eyebrows started to fall out. She has very big eyebrows. Oh, big eyebrows falling out. That's a problem, huh? It is. The liver is getting weaker and she was Uh on too many medications because she had a stroke. And for example, the one we took off was statins because she didn't have cholesterol. And they were giving it to her anyway, and it was just it was too many too many medications. So her eyebrows got better after she got off the statins. So I, I knew right away that, that that had transformed. So you can see that, and in people who are herbologists, um, or herbalists, I should say, often they don't check the eyebrows to see how well people handle herbs. So for example, my eyebrows aren't big enough to do a, lar- a large amount of herbs. I, I don't really like them. If they're food-based, I'm okay. I can do goji berries. I put them like in you know cereal or something, I'm fine. But in terms of like a big pot of herbs in the stove, it's like there's too many of them. Too much. Yeah. And so it's because I have really small eyebrows. So if someone has big eyebrows, they can even handle chemotherapy, honestly. I mean, mm-hmm. it's not it's not as dangerous for them. So that's one of the ways you can tell if you should do that kind of treatment or not, you know, if you can handle it or not because your eyebrows tell you how your liver is doing. So, you know, I, I look at things like the liver a lot and in between the eyebrows also shows really well as do the temples in terms of things like, you know, depression. But for practitioners, my biggest thing right now is the kidneys. I think we're overusing our kidney most of the time. And this goes back to the idea of not being enough underneath the eyes actually the whole eye socket is the kidneys and it's really easy to see when someone you know hasn't got enough sleep what's really interesting is you can sleep and still not recover your kidneys it helps when you helps but there's still something that says often i get eight hours i'm not i'm, I'm still got dark circles maybe you're doing too much in some other way and i watch this area really really strongly in most of my clients because it's like the ocean of the body. The kidney's like the ocean. And it's like a tide, tide that goes in and tide that goes out, you know. Mm-hmm. And when you're hollow and when you're dark here, the tide's out. It hasn't come back in yet. There's not enough water to bring the tide back in yet. So basically a drought condition. So I work with people a lot because most of my clients have kidney deficiency, most. Mm-hmm. And that's usually lifestyle oriented. And, and the biggest aspect of lifestyle is actually not sleep, it's rest. And the biggest thing about um, ingestion of water is not water, it's soup. So I make people make soup, lots and lots and lots of soup. <laughs> I, I do recommend bone broth. I, I think it's the number one recipes on my food blog. Um, people take the Chinese soups that I <laughs> put on there and, and I make them I make that because bone broth is essential for the kidneys. It's full of minerals. And if you're a vegetarian, I even have a vegetarian bone broth, which it's, ve- it's vegetables for bone growth, but you use all these root vegetables and you leave the peels on. And you make this extraordinary soup, and it's so good for your kidneys. I'm really struck with what you just said that sleep is not rest. No, because sometimes you dream too much. It's really powerful. Yeah. It's really. It goes back, it goes back to the doing nothing more often. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking about the patients I see. Yeah, I'm thinking about my own life for that matter. Mm-hmm. Rest. I mean, I know that if I want to be really active, mm-hmm. I mean, getting enough sleep, yes, obviously, but having some time in the day for rest is it's crucial. It's crucial. If I want to be active, rest mm-hmm. is essential to build that activity on. And it does help the kidneys if you lay down because the kidneys are holding up the head and the head is really, really heavy. So kidneys like to lay down lay on the sofa, read a book, lay on the beach. I mean, lay down, lay in the bed and just think. I mean, it's okay. Don't think too much, but a little But But laying down is really big for the kidneys too. Okay. So let me, how do I phrase this? So if I'm treating somebody in, in the clinic and I'm concerned about their kidneys and I'm looking at this area underneath the eyes, if I'm getting somewhere, if my needles are having an effect, 
mm-hmm. I would probably see something happen there. Is that correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I, I teach a lot of students and we actually, um, in my master face reading program, have people come in who are strangers to be read in our session at the end of each module. And at the end of the Jing module, almost always we see after someone has done an hour of counseling, the kidneys get better. Mm-hmm. Just the idea of, of not doing as much sometimes makes a difference. I, it's very it's very unusual. And with acupuncture, because I do clinic visits with some of my long-term students, you can see after treatment how well the kidneys respond to acupuncture. It's wonderful, especially the, the, some of the extraordinary meridian points in the, in the REN channel. Wow. I can hardly wait to get back in clinic and, and start. <laughs> start watching. Start watching. Have a little closer look. And, and I hope that, that everyone listening here today will uh, take this as an opportunity. Just have another glance. Have another look at things. Lillian, if if people would like more information about what you're up to, how do they get in touch with you? Well, my website is lotusinstitute.com. And um, they're welcome to come to the website. And we have all the programs that are listed there and consultations that you can book if you'd like. And I, I love to teach. I teach at a lot of conferences still. I try to condense them into one time when I want to several times a year I travel I do all those things at once but I, I do travel around and this year I'll be more in the U.S. than usual I think I'm doing a conference in um and I'm doing let's see what am I doing I'm doing a talk in New York and I'm doing a talk in um Florida and there's several places I'm going all right so. I'll be sure to put that on the show notes page if there's if there's anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners here any handouts mm-hmm. or, or just articles anything that that might help people get a little more information and help them in their practice. You can send that to me as well. And I'll put it okay, on the show great. notes. Well, I do, I do recommend the book. I, what I'll send you is the map of the organs that shows it's actually not in my book. I, I, I made it after the book was published strangely the second time. So I will send you the organ maps uh, that shows by color coded um, all the different organs and how they relate to the feet. That would be so helpful. That's great. Yeah, it's fun. Anything yeah. else that you'd like to share with us before we say goodbye? Um, I would actually like to say that people need to remember that they know so much about themselves and they, we often will go to experts to help us remember who we are, who we actually really are. And the best doctor is actually yourself with the help of someone else who can help you become more yourself. <laughs> that's my, that's my theory. I love it. Thank you so much for making the time today. It was lovely talking to you. Thanks as always for listening. If you liked this conversation, if you learned something new or found a moment of inspired insight, share the episode with your friends. If you want to support Geological, there's just one way to do that. It's by going to the website and becoming a member or leaving a one-time contribution today. Well, folks, that's it for today. Join us again next Tuesday for another conversation that connects up the voices of our community.